Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into the emerging technology, blockchain, cryptocurrency, DLT, at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. I'm Forecast News Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. It is my great pleasure right now to introduce to you and speak with Hester Peirce. She has been nominated for a second term. She's one of five commissioners at the Securities and Exchange Commission, and she's one of the upcoming speakers at the Asia Blockchain Summit coming up in July. And I'm, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the show, Hester. It has been, uh, we've been tracking you. Obviously, the entire industry uh, has been uh, really watching uh, almost the advocacy uh, that you're doing internally uh, at the commission and giving voice to what many in the industry had regarded for a long time as being voiceless, at least amongst lead regulators like yourself. So first question is, you've been nominated for a second term. Congratulations, it's a five-year term. Any word on uh, US Senate confirmation yet? Thanks, Angie, for having me. And uh, I, I appreciate the chance to be with you today. Um, in terms of the nomination, so I've been nominated along with another commissioner, uh, and, and the two of us will probably go through the confirmation process together. Um, and so we would appear in front of the Senate when the Senate is ready for us. And then after that, um, if, if it goes forward, then, then um, there could be a confirmation. The timing is a little difficult to predict. Um, it's really up to the Senate to figure out the timing of moving forward. You know, being one of, of the five commissioners, obviously uh, your voice is important, but of course it also is reflective of what the entire commission and, and one of the many opinions uh, that are voiced uh, when it comes to uh, policy and legislation, uh, advisory and, and regulations. Since you started, which was about two years ago, to where you are now, what would you say has been uh, perhaps the evolution of understanding or even regard for cryptocurrency uh, and, and DLT and financial instruments as such amongst your, your commissioners uh, at the SEC? Well, I think it's a really important point that you bring up that I'm one of five. And so that's one of the beauties of the commission structure in the US. It brings together people with different views. And so I have to tell you that the views I represent are my own views and not necessarily those of the commission or my fellow commissioners. And I think in this space, um, that's been pretty evident that sometimes I take one view and my colleagues take another. But that said, I'm, I continue to be optimistic because I think my colleagues are following the space and they, they, they do see that there are developments happening in the space and that um, there are positive things coming out of it. And so even today, I had a, a conversation with a colleague that gave me some hope that um, you know we will see progress on some of these fronts. It may not happen as fast as I'd like, um, but I, I do think that we'll we'll make progress. People are moving beyond some of the tired old stories that crypto is just for illegal activity and, and recognizing uh, that there's real institutional interest in it. There's retail interest in it, and there's there's interest in trying to develop things that really will improve people's lives. 
You know, that, that is a stark difference from uh, when uh, Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency was introduced even a decade ago. Um, in his uh, recent book, John Bolton, uh, The Room Where It Happened, uh, allegations of a statement made by Donald Trump saying, you know, to uh, go after Bitcoin, that, that, that sentiment, uh, you know, at that political level. Where do you think the administration is right now? at least, when it comes to uh, thinking about blockchain and cryptocurrency and, and the, the DLT uh, and DeFi, all of these things that, that technology um, has really innovated for us? Well, again, I mean, I can't speak for my own agency, let alone the administration. We're an independent agency, um, and so that does affect how we move forward. But what I will say is that a number of my colleagues across the government have been very interested in this space, whether it's Heath Tarbert at the CFTC and Brian Quintens at the CFTC uh, or Brian Brooks at the OCC, um, Chris Giancarlo, who used to be at the CFTC. There's really a lot of interest. And so I think people are seeing um, the positive aspects and looking for a road forward in a way that provides the legal protections we need to provide, but at the same time um, offers people some opportunities that they're looking for. You, you mentioned your conversation with uh, one of your fellow uh, commissioners uh, about um, progress made. Uh, recently, you proposed a three-year safe harbor um, uh, prospects for uh, cryptocurrency projects. Where are we on that? I mean, we know that the statistics are, are still fairly low. Yeah, I mean, I think it's below 5% um, uh, before it's, you know, uh, passed by uh, uh, the House and the Senate. But wh where are we on that when it comes to potentially seeing uh, establishment of a three-year safe harbor? Well, I think there's still work to be done. I'm hoping to come out with a new iteration of the safe harbor at some point um, and, you know, working on, on taking in the commentary that we received and trying to figure out how can we improve it to address some of the concerns that, that people have expressed. Um, it, protection of token buyers is, of course, something that's at top of people's mind. And so are there ways that we can strengthen the safe harbor to address those concerns? Uh, so I think, as I've said all along, having this kind of thing ready to go for when people feel the moment is right is helpful. And so I think even moving the, moving the ball along in this direction is helpful. Now, that said, I continue to believe that if we don't do something in the U.S., that development will move outside of the US. And you know, Asia is a place where a lot of activity is happening. And a lot of governments in this region have found ways to move forward with this technology. Um, and I think that's something that we really need to learn from. Are the commissioners, and in, including yourself, um, which, which nations of interest uh, are, are most of interest to you? What are the, what are the innovations uh, in this space, uh, especially in this region in Asia? Have, have you been monitoring? Well, I think Singapore has been very active. Um, I think there's interest in Japan and in, in developing a regulatory framework. Um, there's interest. Uh, China is obviously taking steps um, in, 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 to move forward as well. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot across the region. And then 
I think even in some of the less developed countries, they're, they're looking for ways to integrate some of this technology. And, and maybe they're at an advantage in a way because they don't have the same sort of stale. And I, I say that not in a critical way, but, but it's easy for a regulatory regime that's been in place for a long time to get stale as with respect to technology. And so if, if you have a less developed regime, then you're able to sort of build it from the ground up. And, and, and integrate that technology, or at least make it technology neutral, which is really where we should all be trying to get. Right now, I, I mean, I, I, you're, th that comparison is really astute. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got a very established system in the United States, a lot of checks and balances across government and agency. Uh, SEC is an independent uh, yet government agency, um, and so there, it, the, the the web is very intricate, uh, but designed to obviously support a, a mature uh, nation. You know, less can be said about the evolution of of systems uh, in the modern era, from China. You know that that went from, uh, you know. Commun uh, from from empirical China to to uh, uh, communism to now uh, uh, market economy uh, with uh, socialism ties. Um, so so you're you're right about that. But still, there there are developments that are being made uh, at such a fast pace that we're observing uh, being based here in Asia that we're just not seeing in. Uh, the U.S. So, for example, as you know, DCEP, the Digital Currency Electronic Payment uh, Project, a pilot in China is already uh, across four cities uh, being integrated. The population is already used to digital payments of, of some kind. No, it's been a cashless society uh, practically for, for the past couple of years. Um, and so where does that put the United States. Are you worried about just the stark difference between adoption on one hand, ready to go um, in China and, and in other spots in Asia, versus the still figuring it out and talking about its stage in the United States? I absolutely do worry about that. I think we in the U.S. have something to offer that still helps us have an advantage in many ways in that a lot of people want to go to the U.S. to build things and um, to raise capital. And so we have, that, we have that advantage, but we can't just ride on the laurels of that. We have, to, we have to also look at what's happening elsewhere. And it is interesting to see some of the developments that are happening in terms of um, sort of moving to this to this cashless society. I don't know that that'll be the, the, the way it goes in the US, um, but I think that there is certainly going to be progress on, those, on that front. And I think it can be helpful for lots of people. So we need to keep that in mind too. It's not just the innovators who are trying to get stuff done, it's the people who will actually be able to use it. Um, and so we wanna, we wanna make sure that we're offering as many opportunities and many options for, for investors, consumers, and others um, in society to be able to do what's most convenient for them. Yeah. Do you, do you think the, you know, amongst the intergovernmental agencies, uh, SEC of one, CFTC, OCC, as you've said, you know, there are more and more uh, 
Hester purses, uh, for lack of a better description, of people who are uh, understanding the space uh, at a different level, um, also seeing the perspective from an industry point of view and being a lot more open rather than, you know, closed door, you know, with the old narrative of this all, you know, just being a, an excuse to launder money. Um, do you feel that, you know, with this kind of emergence, even on the intergovernmental side, that it's also being reflected on the industry side? You know, back in the day with the ICOs, it was to ignore U.S. regulations. And now we're seeing absolutely this, this uh, evolution of companies and projects and protocols understanding that they have to work within the confines and work with the SEC. How has that evolution been for you as, as you track just what's been happening in this space? Well, I think as you get more institutional interest in the space, people are going to say, look, we can't, we've got to work within the regulatory framework. And so that can be very helpful. But I think one missing piece is, at least on the SEC side, is that we really have to show people progress. We have to show them not only that um, it's important to comply with the regulatory framework, and that's why we've brought a number of these enforcement actions. We have to, we have to uphold the law as it's written but we also have to say but we understand that there are some changes that we have to make and until you really show that with with offering people hey here's here's an accommodation we made um, people get discouraged and so that's what I worry about is that people you know they've been waiting for a while to see some kind of change their money is running out I mean, that's, that's an issue too, right? You can't just keep flying forever without bringing the, the project to fruition. And so, so people are waiting. And, and, and so until we actually say, no, we're serious about this, I'm worried that, that there'll be a problem. Now, the counter to that is that we have done, we've given some no action relief. And there, there are some players in this space who've gotten uh, who are offering products that are that are based on a cryptocurrency or so there there are some things happening but I think we need to have more progress to really have even more people come to us and say okay now here's here's what I want to build here's where I think the regulation is going to stand in the way what can we do about this so I'm hopeful that you know not only will we at the SEC give people more more hope that we'll actually make those accommodations. But I'm hopeful that we across the government will come together and give people an easier way to navigate cross-governmental um, regulatory barriers. And, and that's, that's a bigger undertaking because it's not something that we normally do. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that might be really a way to, to show that we're serious about this. No action relief, um, you know, it, it's, it still feels case by case, lots of lawyers involved, uh, a lot of outreach uh, between SEC and attorneys, which can be enormously expensive. Um, but if that is entrenched in a three-year safe harbor, you know, that's a different story. So right now you've got no action relief for the big projects, at least, who are capitalized, uh, but less so now with COVID. Um, and then at some point, three-year safe harbor. What's the time frame here that the industry can, can expect? 
Well, again, it's, it's it's hard to predict, but I'm yeah. you know I'm hopeful that we can make progress. Uh, you know, within that we'll be able to say that something has has moved forward in 2020. But it's it's you know COVID has really affected everyone. It's affected us certainly. The market, the what's been going on in the markets as a result of of COVID and the shutdowns um, has also affected us and affected our workload. We're in work from home mode, and so those kinds of things do have an effect. That said, some things, you know, we're trying to be business as usual as much as we can, and some things are going forward. So the, the FinHub, which is the group at the SEC that spends most, most of its time on crypto and other FinTech issues, they're still doing their meetups. They're just doing them virtually now. So people should still be reaching out to us. Don't assume that we're not interested, even though a lot of the public facing stuff you see is related to COVID. That doesn't mean that we're not interested in hearing about your projects. You don't have to come in with a lawyer. That's important to know too. Um, but I understand that as a practical matter, probably if you're going to try to do something in the U.S., you're going to need to you're going to need to get legal counsel. But at least coming and talking to us can give you a sense of what what the potential issues that you might need to get legal advice on, what those are. And that's certainly uh, much different than, you know, suddenly waking up to uh, uh, legal action, um, which we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, you know, it also boils down to the Howey test. You know, this is, is, is cryptocurrency a security? How is that regarded? You know, the CFTC sees it as a one thing, SEC sees it as, as another. When are we going to get standard definition of a token, cryptocurrency? Are we starting to see the different multi-layers of understanding how it's regarded um, by the commissioners, how it's regarded by the agencies? Well, I think that there has been some clarity that's come out you know, based on the enforcement actions, people can, can read the tea leaves from that and they can read the tea leaves certainly from the guidance that our division of corporation finance, our director put out. Um, but that, I've gotten the feedback that that's quite complicated. I think it's quite complicated. I personally have an issue with some of the way that we've been viewing this. Um, I think the way we've been viewing it uh, is, is in my mind, a, a, a misapplication of, of the Howey test. Um, and I've been pretty open about saying that, so this is not news. Um, because I think it it's really making it impossible for, for a project to get started without falling into the Howey definition. And so, you know, that's made me sort of think more broadly. The Howey, the Howey test has been out there for a long time, and it's been a quite useful framework for us to think about whether an investment contract is in fact a security. But it does lead to some really interesting questions about whether things that none of us might have thought are securities actually are securities. So I think we really need to do a little bit of soul searching to say, well, if we're, if we're applying this test in this way in the crypto context, have we been misapplying it in other contexts? And is it much broader mm. than we actually thought? There's a chance that Congress might come in and say, hey, we want you to think about tokens in some other way than through the Howey lens. Um, that's certainly their prerogative to do that. But because they haven't done that yet, we are um, using the framework that 
that has been passed on through the courts. Um, and that's how our securities law in the U.S. is made, which does distinguish it from some other places, which have much more prescriptive definitions of what it is to be a security. So yeah. that I think that framework is probably here to stay. The safe harbor would at least offer a way to keep the framework, but then allow token projects to move forward um, with more certainty. I recently spoke to uh, Christian Carlo, ex-head of uh, CFTC. You know, one of the one of uh, uh, the names that that you shared uh, at the beginning of this conversation of people who are just increasingly in this space, um, who are coming from agency and then also working. Uh, obviously, the Digital Dollar Project has uh, recently uh, made headlines with Jerome Powell, Federal Reserve Chairman, uh, being asked about it very specifically um, and saying that private should not overtake what a public role is and this project should be led uh, from uh, obviously from a Federal Reserve uh, perspective and that they must understand first and best. So it seems that they're still in the understanding phase, but what, you know, how do you regard that, um, that kind of political climate at the moment to, uh, to, to talk about the digital dollar? As you said, you know, it really has to be motivated by Congress to tell you as an agency how you want to, uh, you know, redefine and or, uh, tweak the language, the regulatory language. Do you think that that political, in I guess, uh, interest is there? Or, or is it being distracted right now because of what's happening across the country and also with COVID? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening. And certainly um, the digital dollar debate is really outside of my purview as a securities regulator. Uh, but I, I think that one of the things that CryptoDad Christian uh, Carlo has been very helpful in thinking about, and this is not just related to crypto, it's not just related to fintech, but more broadly, when he was chairman of the CFTC, one of the things that I really appreciated was that he had a very optimistic outlook about how technology could really transform our lives, and he always approached it from that perspective of thinking about what is technology going to do to make our lives, the, the lives of American citizens, the lives of people throughout the world better? And I think that's, that's something that I've taken away from him and, and that's how I like to think about things too. Um, and so I think we need to have these conversations and these conversations happening in society can then filter into Washington. And I think we've already seen that. There's really bipartisan interest in this technology and in, in trying to figure out ways to allow it to, to develop in a way that does benefit society. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of a nice moment, right? There are, there are a lot of divisions about a lot of things, but this is something that we can come together and we can discuss and we can talk about how it can help make lives of people who have been excluded from the financial system, how maybe it can make their lives better and easier. Um, and so I think this is, this is all part of the part of the life cycle, right? We expect this. Mm -hmm. we, there should be some debate and discussion, and then we'll figure out what works and um, figure out what doesn't. Well, from crypto dad to crypto mom, <laughs> you've, you've uh, been seen, um, uh, obviously, at, in your descent at the commission uh, to be one of those uh, thoughtful regulators who 
really think from that perspective as you've just shared. So we've got crypto mom, crypto dad. How, how do you regard your role, especially um, if the, you know, there's no doubt, uh, at least from a lot of people's mind, but until the confirmation from the U.S. Senate uh, entrenches your uh, second term for five years, what's, what's your mandate going to be as crypto mom? Well, again, if I, if I am confirmed, which would be an honor, then I would continue trying to do some of the work on some of the things that I've been working on. And I think stepping back from the crypto space um, mm -hmm. and thinking more generally of innovation, that's really what brought me to this space with, you know, it's, it's a great case study for us. And, and how do we handle this new, totally new way of thinking about the world? Um, we haven't been great on innovation on much more micro levels than, than this, this really brand new way of thinking about so many things. And so crypto is an opportunity for us to be introspective and to say, hey, are we handling innovation right? Or do we need to really make some wholesale changes in the way we as a, as a regulator think about innovation? And so that's a theme that I hope to carry forward and think about um, in the next term if, if I'm confirmed. And I think you, also, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. So I, I think also just thinking about how can we make our capital markets work for a broader segment of the population? Capital markets can transform people's lives. And so allowing the financial system to reach more people means that we have to really revisit some regulatory features that are in place now. So we have a standard that says to invest in certain things, you've got to be accredited and to be accredited means that you have to have this level of wealth or income. Mm -hmm. So is there something that we can do um, on that front to think about that and to think about whether that still works? And, and, and maybe some of the unintended consequences of that are that we've kept people from participating in the financial system who might have wanted to participate. Um, so those are some of the kinds of things that I hope to think about. That is, uh, you know, one of the legacy uh, regulations that have indeed uh, prevented a lot of people from, from participating in, in wealth generation, uh, you know, to the point where you could almost argue that cryptocurrency and blockchain and, and all the financial instruments that have evolved, it was really, you know, this was one of the, this was one of the things that it was responding to. Uh, DeFi uh, has just popped up as well. It's certainly, um, you know, an emerging space in, in uh, financial, uh, uh, for financial services. How do you regard SEC role and DeFi. What's what's your opinion on that? Well, again, I think it it has to be considered on a case by case basis. Um, we have to think about the facts and circumstances, and in some cases, it really won't implicate us as much as probably um, some of our fellow regulators. But there are other instances when it may well be within our wheelhouse. And I guess you know that's the message that I that I have to bring as well, which is that with all of this stuff, you've got to think about the regulatory framework. If you're reaching into the U.S., you have to think about that because there could be consequences if you don't. And for people who are involved in this space, please come talk to me and, and, 
and talk to me about where you think the, the regulations are preventing you from doing what you want to do. Now, some of the some of the DeFi space is one that really asks us to reimagine entirely how finance is done and, and it it moves us away from a world where we as a regulator are dealing with a few specific entities that play a major role in the financial system. Well, that's the point um, from the people who are who are innovating in this space. But it also does make our job more difficult. Um, if something does go wrong, um, people may come to us and say, hey, something bad happened to me. I want you to, to, to stop it from happening to other people and to help me. And we have to grapple with that too because part of our job is to is to protect the integrity of the markets so thinking about the legal structure in this new world is difficult and figuring out where exactly we're implicated as a regulator is difficult so i don't have all the answers yet well, I don't think any one of us do, um, but what's critical here is public discourse. And it is a pleasure to have this conversation with you um, and share some of your views with the rest of the audience. Uh, very eager to learn as to where 2020 and beyond uh, really takes the world and this industry. Hester Purse, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Angie. I really enjoyed it. And thank you everyone for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Angie Lau. Until the next time.